0: I have called up in all my inch years inch, of sorcery,
1: with no god terror, red or, terror, mood, or devil, ominous and gibbous and, gibbous and gibbous, and the thing was a streaming the
2: and the ooze of charnel's corpses that he dug with his hands from unconsecrated graves. It Dreaming is verily conquest, known by few of bastards, but it bastard, is never in the and women. It is told, fact. me picked up as they fled, and pulled limb from limb as a child my quarter an insect.
0: The Double, the double shadow,
1: shadow, a Clark Ashton Smith Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. I'm Tim. I'm Phil. And I'm Ruth. And this week we'll be covering The Door to Saturn. Part one. Yeah, part one.
0: First half. Yeah.
1: It's a long, strange trip. (laughs) I miss Jason. I know. So do I.
0: <laughs> we can have Jason back, guys. Jason Thompson, okay.
1: our uh, guest, was on last episode.
0: And we'll be back, we hope, for the seven geese. Yeah.
1: Um, I have a book called The Black Book of Clark Ashton Smith, and in it are his notes that he wrote for each story. Um, not notes for every story, but I was looking for one for The Tale of Setempera Zeros, um, and I couldn't find it, but then... After the show, I was looking through the book a little more leisurely, and I found an entry called The Ancient Shadow, The Shadow from the Sarcophagus. And it says, Satampra Zeros and Tiruvampalios, noted Hyperborean thieves and burglars, are hired by the Ruhl Vash, high priest of the moon god, to enter the tomb of the ancient pre-human sorcerer Hurun. Then they are to break open the stone sarcophagus of Harun and bring to rule Vash certain magic talismans said to have been interred with the wizard. And then it goes on. It's like a few paragraphs of uh, stuff that is crazy and w- would have been a completely different story than the the one that we read. But uh, maybe I'll type it up and we can post it on the site.
2: Does the um, does, is the note dated? Like, is it, it? Are you sure that this would have been the first September Zero story, or is it a note oh, for like a, an unwritten? It's not dated. Or something? It isn't dated.
0: Yeah, it would have to have been a prequel, but that either way, that's pretty cool. Good find, Tim. Thanks. Did you find anything for this story?
1: No, no, there's nothing in this story. Just the title. He wrote all the titles of the Hyperborea stories. There might be like a little fragment in there. Some of them are just one sentence, and I yeah. haven't read the whole book, so I'll I'll do better homework. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, in his letters he mentions this as having a light ironic tone which actually caused a bit of a problem with farnsworth Wright because he didn't take the story seriously enough to publish it um and so finally it had to be published in strange tales oh, wow. which paid him twice as much at least according to the notes in the nightshade edition but he mentions in his book that he's a bit disappointed with uh with the fact that it keeps getting rejected at this point by Farnsworth right, because of the tone. But I, I think it's very good he didn't change it. Yeah, me too. Because this is a fun story.
2: So the story was, as Ruth just pointed out, published in Strange Tales. I think the full name is Strange Tales of Mystery and Terror. Nice. It was published in January 1932. And the issue features a cover story by Jack Williamson, uh, as well as work by August Derlith and our old friend Hugh B. Cave, uh, among other people. I don't know much about Strange Tales of Mystery and Terror other than kind of what Ruth just pointed out that it it was like the better paying cousin of Weird Tales and it didn't last very long. I think it lasted like eight issues or something.
0: That was the one that that Smith sold something else to and then they couldn't print it and eventually Wright took it.
2: I feel like, I mean, while I love this story, I wonder if there are some scenes that I feel like have extended word counts and I wonder if that's because he was, well, I guess he didn't know he was writing for them. I was going to say maybe he was trying to uh, bulk it up a little. Yeah, yeah, to get a little more of that uh, that Depression era cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he, like I said, he wasn't—he didn't know he was writing for Strange Tales at the time, so he probably didn't write that way.
1: What was the other one that Strange Tales had, and when they folded,
2: was it? Um, oh, it was like it was one of the big Colossus? ones, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Colossus. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm.
0: that sounds right.
2: I find it weird. Okay, this is.
0: Yep, it was Colossus. Oh, it was Colossus. Nice.
2: This is completely unrelated to Black and Smith, but. I keep waiting for L. Ron Hubbard to show up in one of these books, but <laughs> because I just finished that Scientology book by Lawrence Wright, which was amazing. I guess he wasn't a weird tales writer or or maybe he was um, just being published by like other kinds of pulp magazines, but it's he
0: was he was a pulp writer, but I think he was more adventure thriller detective mystery.
2: Oh uh, well no because because kind of he definitely I mean, oh sci-fi and sci-fi. yeah did a lot of science fiction Obviously. Uh, but he like I kind of wrote across all genres, so I just find it strange mm-hmm. that he hasn't shown up at all, but maybe maybe he didn't start writing until. A little bit later but I don't think that's true was he
1: more of like a novelist
2: no mm, he wasn't no, well not not at the time like he eventually became a novelist but he was definitely a short story writer
0: for the pulps
2: and I only I only think of it because well Tim's already here to talk about this but Jack Williamson Jack one of Jack Williamson's biggest fans was um, John Parsons who oh. was like a crazy rocket scientist Occultist. Uh, occultist.
0: Founder of the JPL. Yes.
2: And L. Ron Hubbard went and schmoozed around with him for quite a while. A little bit after. Stole his wife. Yeah. Anyway, made me think of it, but he hasn't shown up. And this isn't a podcast with L. Ron Hubbard, thank God. So let's hear it. <laughs> no.
1: No, it isn't.
0: <laughs> Have you guys read Chinatown Death Cloud Peril? No. It's a story uh, with a lot of pulp writers in it, including a dying H.P. Lovecraft. And it includes um, L. Ron Hubbard as well as one of the writers. Yeah.
2: So that's that digression out of the way. Shall we move into door to Saturn?
0: (laughs) Let's kick open a door to Saturn. Uh,
1: At the end of this episode, we'll be announcing another contest. Uh, I was able to get a copy of The Weird, which we talked about a lot towards the beginning of the show and on the forums. But I was able to get a copy of that from the publisher to give away. So stay tuned and we'll let you know how to get that at the end of the show. So you have to listen.
2: I'd like to think that if they started listening, they would listen anyway, unless they turned of <laughs> on were like, door to yeah. Saturn, screw this. <laughs> Wait a minute, contest? I'm in. We push and we pull our listeners in many different <laughs> directions.
3: When Morgai, the high priest of the goddess Seahounda, together with 12 of his most ferocious and efficient underlings came at morning twilight to seek the infamous heretic Iben in his house of black gneiss on a headland above the northern main. They were surprised as well as disappointed to find him absent. Their surprise was due to the fact that they had every intention of taking him unawares for all their plots against Iben had been carried on with meticulous privacy in underground vaults with soundproof bolted doors, and they themselves had made the long journey to his house in a single night immediately following the hour of his condemnation. They were disappointed because the formidable writ of arrest, with symbolic flame-etched runes on a scroll of human skin, was now useless, and because there seemed to be no early prospect of trying out the ingenious agonies, the intricately harrowing ordeals, which they had devised for Iben with such care.
1: Whoa. Whoa. That reader you just heard is a friend of mine. His name is Joe Scalora, and he's been wanting to do readings for us since the beginning, and I thought that Door to Saturn would be a challenging one to give somebody.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just cruel. Like, (laughs) we have a very high bar for readers to cross. You have to be able to pronounce various things that we will never have to.
1: Because I don't want to say most of this stuff, so I
2: outsourced it.
0: Nice. Good plan, Tim. Good plan.
2: I have a lot of things. I know Ruth has a lot to say about Yaounda, but I I, do. I would like you to start because maybe you'll cover the things that I think about Yonda as well.
0: First, I'm just going to note that, oh my gosh, guys, it's Ibon.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know, right?
0: That's pretty exciting because we've seen the book of Ibon and we've heard about Ibon and uh, we knew he was in Hyperborea, but this is Ibon. I'm pretty excited about that. And I'm kind of excited about Ibon's former buddy adventures, which sadly didn't really get their own story. Yahounda. Yeah. I have thoughts about the priests of Yehunda who apparently conduct inquisitions against people who are worshipping the wrong sorts of gods. And my thought is, ooh, Yehunda, I'm an elk. I prance around in the forest all day. I look pretty in the moonlight by the lake, glimmering as I take some things. I have maybe horns and I, I wear flowers in my hair and, oh, I'm an elk. I'm an elk. <laughs> and, like, you live in a world where there's such sagwa. You live in a world of awesome deep mysteries. And they're like, oh, I'm going to worship Yehunda. I'm a pretty pretty prancing elk thing. And (laughs) I just, I don't understand these people. I don't understand these people at
2: all. This is what I think. I think in the world of the mythos, Yehunda is the weirdest thing because she's not, she or he just seems so simple compared to everything else. Like in, in a world of insane making tentacle monsters who come from beyond the stars, the weirdest thing might actually be an Elk Goddess. <laughs> like <laughs> it just because could it's be. it's so it's so not in keeping with anything else that goes on in these stories. The people of Hyperborea
0: have just become hyper-boring.
2: <laughs> but don't you think that's interesting? Like like why so Zathagwa caught on, right? And like all this the like you never hear about Yehunda ever. Is it no. just because that she's it's just because She's boring. Well, the story
1: at the end of the story, they kind of, I mean, he kind of drops that.
2: Well, we'll we'll get to it when we get to it, but but I guess I mean, just in like in in the world of like of weird tales and and like H.P. Lovecraft fandom, like why I had never heard this name until this paragraph,
1: and it is really weird that they work worship an elk goddess and for somehow yeah like you're saying it seems weirder than worshiping like a bat sloth god (laughs) (laughs) but they're both like animal creatures animal-like creatures yeah but
2: but elk isn't a hybrid like the bat sloth the the sleepy-eyed bat sloth (laughs) god is is much different than a very simple elk
0: i just think it's people who want to get their boring on and like pretty shiny things when and Inquisitions. Yeah, they like
1: exactly. Inquisitions. Yeah, The, the Yaoundé's big on Inquisitions.
2: I don't, you know, maybe the, the form of the goddess is weird, but the things that they intend to do with her worship seem awfully interesting to me.
0: Well, I do like the flame-etched runes on a scroll of human skin. I'm giving and them they, points like, for that. These
2: guys spent hours thinking about types of torture. They were in a room, a subterranean room, and they were just, they were like drunk with the idea of how they were going to undo Ibon physically.
1: It actually reminded me a lot of the Cabal to Undo yeah. Maligris.
2: Yeah.
0: Except that I, I'm kind of liking Imon better yeah. than Malagris. Yeah,
1: well, he's a little more... He's got a bro. He's got a bro in Zathaqua.
0: I know. The bros, they, they need a bro movie. Oh. It's like the roommates. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do we, are we going to talk... We're going to talk later about how they became buds? Yeah, let's talk yeah.
1: about the actual story now. <laughs> um, we are talking about the story Tim... Uh, yeah, but we're talking about larger contextual things. So
2: let's talk about who Morgi is.
0: Yeah.
1: He's the high priest of the goddess Yaoundé. Uh,
2: Well, I guess just means, like, his personality. Because it it says Uh that, like, he, of all of these guys, is... Well, we later learn that he's basically, like, drunk with the idea of of Inquisition. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. But what we learn here is that he is particularly disappointed because um, he... Because Ibon was his chief rival, basically. It is a lot like the Malagree setup, actually. Yeah. But Morgi was really excited to go get Ibon, specifically because he'd heard that Ibon had been worshipping Sothakwa.
1: Yeah, and he basically, Mm -hmm. it's not so much as a frame-up, but he, he basically took some rumors and used them as fodder to draw up these Inquisition rites to go knock down his main rival.
0: Which turn out totally be to be true, because when they go and search his house right. for him, after they can't find him, they it's, find tons of yeah, stuff, it's wait, of stuff it's, it's around. Wait,
1: wait, it's not a house. It's a pentagonal tower of five <laughs> stories, built of gneiss, black gneiss, which is a kind of rock.
2: Is it gneiss, or is it nice? Well, there's a G in it. Yeah, but it's not gnosis. <laughs> says who? <laughs> says
1: <laughs> Says everybody. <laughs> It's a nice pentagonal It's a nice tower. house. Yeah. I kinda nice wish tower. it was Gnosis. <laughs> I know. It's so sad. And
0: I do like that now here's a here's a place where, if you remember from Poseidonus how they had the deaf mute slaves on the market. This actually might be a good reason to have deaf mute slaves because uh, the three servants of Ibon are tortured with a slow drip of boiling hot asphaltum. Now maybe they would have done it if they were deaf mutes anyway, but I think it would have been kind of assumed that those servants wouldn't really know who, where their master had gone. Yeah, they didn't
1: they didn't get any information from those servants. Nope. They don't know what happened. Uh Ibon is just gone, and that kind of yep. frustrates Morgai.
0: Yeah, more than a little bit.
1: He was driven to credit his rival with superior resources of magic so he's realizing that he's been outclassed here and he doesn't like it so much
2: i just i just want to talk about how much ivan likes sithakwa like the story goes it goes to some length to establish that it's not just like there's one icon of sithakwa it's like he's everywhere in this place it's like it's like you walk into a teenage girl's room and it's like justin bieber posters that's that's
1: exactly how i pictured it
2: (laughs) ivan hart and like like it's just it's out of control
0: he was to be found in half of the totems in pictures that were scrawled on flagstones on parchment painting and since he's amid forms and landscapes whose abnormality and sheer uncouthness may have been due to the half-developed technique of the primitive artist's so he's got posters
1: on the wall and everything. <laughs> so Morgy's in this room, this fan room. He rages, full out rage, and starts ripping all of the uh, parchments and posters off the wall, almost as if he thinks that Ibon might be hiding behind them. Uh, so I, I don't know, it's very cool because there's kind of a quiet moment where he's thinking about how he's been outclassed and he's looking out the window. And mm-hmm. then he just rages and starts ripping everything off the walls. And then he finds a panel.
3: A queer panel, high up in the southeastern side above the writing table, had been revealed by the removal of one of the paintings. Morgai's heavy brows met in a long black bar as he eyed this panel. It was conspicuously different from the rest of the wall, being an oval-shaped inlay of some reddish metal that was neither gold nor copper. A metal that displayed an obscure and fleeting fluorescence of rare colors when one peered at it through half-shut eyelids. But somehow it was impossible, with open eyes, even to remember the colors of this fluorescence. Morgai, who perhaps was cleverer and more perspicacious than Iben had given him credit for being, conceived a suspicion that was apparently baseless and absurd, since the wall containing the panel was the outer wall of the building and could give only on the sky and sea. He climbed upon the writing table and struck the panel with his fist. The sensations which he felt and the result of the blow were alike astounding. A sense of icy cold so extreme that it was hardly distinguishable from extreme heat ran along his hand and arm through his whole body as he smote the unknown reddish metal, and the panel itself swung easily outward as if on unseen hinges, with a high sonorous clang that seemed to fall from an incomputable distance. Beyond it... Morgai saw that there was neither sky nor sea nor in fact anything he had ever seen or heard of or even dreamed of in his most outrageous nightmares. He turned to his companions. The look on his face was half amazement, half triumph. Wait here until I return, he commanded, and leaped headlong through the open panel.
1: the panel is on the wall right it's not on the ceiling
2: i thought it was on the ceiling yeah. i pictured it, it on the to be wall like,
0: it seems to be to me like on the cur- upper curved part of the wall but if it's where a poster was
2: high up yeah on the southeastern side above the writing table
0: but it would kind of have to be in the wall just because otherwise the poster wouldn't have fit over oh, there's yeah. A, yeah there's
2: a couple of things i don't understand just physically about how this happens Did they not search very well the first time? They didn't just notice that there was this door behind one of these, like, I Heart posters?
0: (laughs) I think they didn't bother taking down the I Heart posters. That
2: doesn't seem like a very thorough search to me. I'm just saying.
0: When you're in the top of the tower, you don't look for a door.
2: (laughs) Okay, that's A. But the bigger question is, when you go through the door to Saturn, can you reach behind you to close it? Like, how did that poster get back over that door?
0: I think it must just slam shut.
2: But with the poster over it...
1: Oh, probably one of Ivan's assistants. One of the yeah. But I
2: thought they didn't know anything.
0: Well, they're maybe they're really good under torture. Maybe they were
1: wandering around doing their cleanup and they saw the <laughs> the, the velvet painting of Cthugha smoking a cigar <laughs> had fallen off the wall.
2: Can one of us or one of our readers create a, a subsidiary text that just? just explains this this door situation for us. I think that Ho- can happen. Hopefully through the eyes of one of the servants who will go on to be boiled alive or whatever they do to them I feel oh. like
3: <laughs> yeah I
2: feel like that like the banality of the early part of that story followed by the like skin peeling horror of the second part right. would really would really make for something special. <laughs> so then I went up into the, t- the top room and I realized there's this door that's open and my master's favorite cithagowa poster was all disheveled. So I closed it.
0: And I put the Sothago poster back up, and I felt very good about myself.
2: Then I dusted a little, and I had a sandwich.
0: <laughs> and then I got burned to death. Well, maybe I just got partially Later, burned.
2: Later, I watched as layers and layers of my own skin was peeled off of my abdomen. <laughs> it was most uncomfortable.
1: Uh, so, Morgie... He doesn't care. He gives zero F words. Oh, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even
2: I forgot that I loved this part of the story where I know. he's just
1: like, "Whatever. Bye." He's like, "Wait here. I'll be back. back." And leaps through into another world.
0: He didn't even like say, "I'm, I'm leaving a rope." Nope. I'm doing Something
2: like in my mind, it's very Looney Tunes. Like, he just jumps up and goes through it. But if we wanted to, like, ground it in real physics, yeah, I like that he says this and then, like, has to climb up awkwardly through this (laughs) weird door (laughs) in the ceiling. Yeah,
1: well, I still picture it on the wall. So he's climbing, like, up through a hole in the wall, and then we don't see what happens. And then the door
0: clangs shut behind him, perhaps.
1: And then the guards look at each other and shrug, (laughs) and one of them adjusts his helmet.
2: I think one of them's like that guy wasn't asshole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got anything to eat? So that now we get in the story, we get a little history about Iban and Zothacua.
0: Yeah, and Clark Ashton Smith notes that this is um, the Muthulan spelling of Sathagwa, as we commonly think of it. So it's not that this is a oh, this is how it should actually be spelled or this is some early draft of it. This is how he came up with the idea of this is how these people would spell it, which I I love that he comes up with these ideas of, oh yeah, it's spelled differently by this people group, even though they know how to say it the same.
1: Yeah, I love Smith's version of these gods. They're just as impressive as Lovecraft's, but in a completely different way. Yeah,
0: I love that Ibon had cultivated the acquaintance of Zathagwa, who in the desuetude of his worship was now driven to lead an existence wholly subterranean. So he he makes the right prayers, he makes the right sacrifices and in return for Ibon's interest, Zathagwa confides in him, which makes me think that they're chatty bros. You know, he says, well, I come on and talk to me. I've got some, I'll, I've got things I'll tell you, you know, I've got a worshipper and I'll be your cool patron deity.
1: Yeah, it's not like, it doesn't seem like Zathakwa something that you have to summon that will, like, appear. It's like he actually lives underground mm-hmm. and you can go and visit him
2: in his house. <laughs> Does it strike anybody else that Zathakwa kind of just seems like a stoner god? Maybe a little bit. I think bit. he might, to put it in, like, mod- terms of Modern metal, if you will. I feel like Sothakwa could make, could stick a claim to be the patron god of stoner metal, basically. Like, yeah. If you're listening to Sleep or High on Fire or something, like, you're communing what, with your s- You're Sothoqua. communing to Sothoqua, exactly. Yeah. He's like the god of fuzz metal. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The, he's a strange, sleepy little god.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's not, you know, big and tentacly.
2: He's whatever. just
1: hanging out underground, eating Cheetos, <laughs> listening to
2: the first six Black Sabbath albums, and being like, <laughs> "Let's just, let's just get ripped, guys. What's the <laughs> harm? <laughs> Ain't no elks down here."
0: <laughs> this is true, except actually, yeah. except that the the elk inquisitors were dumb enough to hold their meeting underground, right. and Sethog so was got pretty big ears. Because he's a bat sloth god or a bat sloth toad god, and he heard what all was going on, and so he actually is the one that warned Ibon, which is why Ibon wasn't there when they showed up. So that,
1: yeah, and he gives um, he gives Ibon a panel of metal.
0: Well, yeah, he'd done that. Sorry, he'd done that yeah. beforehand, but
1: but tells him don't that this is a metal from another dimension, basically. And uh, don't use it unless you have to, because it'll bring you to Sirkanash.
2: Like, and this just seems like a stoner plan to me, too. Yeah, it's not yeah. a real. This is not a good plan. Like, it's just like, hey, I got this, dude. Put it on your wall. I you know.
1: know. You know, you think that there'd be like maybe a rope ladder out the window might be a better one,
0: or a spell or incantation to zap you there and maybe back. Well, that's up.
1: the thing that's weird is that it doesn't seem like there's not a lot of actual magic in this. There's a lot of science fiction that's kind of pretending to be magic.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing that I thought of when I read this. Um, My sister and I used to believe, because we both somehow had the same dream or somehow in the ways that small children that live together do, that there was a door behind our bedroom dresser and that it led down into this amazing room. And we kept periodically trying to get there because both of us in a little tiny part of our brains actually believed that this door was there. And so I think of this idea of having a door in your wall that you can open to go somewhere. You know, you have Narnia, you have... um, I'm trying to think of things where it's like you open a door under certain circumstances and, well, you've got got the set of doors in Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I don't know, did you guys ever fantasize about having a door like that when you were kids?
1: My brother used to, as we were... (laughs) As we were drifting off to sleep, uh, this is when we were like tiny kids living in Queens and we shared a room. Mm -hmm. He used to pretend that he was these little people that lived in the hall closet and that if I (laughs) did tasks for them, they would build statues to me in their courtyard. (laughs) I like your brother.
2: That's amazing. So
1: so it would be like I would have to get up and open a door and let the light in to kill the creatures or whatever. And I would always do it. And Aww. I kind of, uh, I always half, I knew it was my brother, <laughs> but I kind of half believed or maybe wanted to believe that there was actually mm-hmm. a world filled with these tiny little people who needed my help. But there's yeah. a statue of me in their town square right now, so.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. Is it little you or is it adult you? Or is it Zathagwa who looks That's like you? It's probably me
1: as a kid. I didn't know it was Zathaqua back then. <laughs>
2: I I don't I don't have an, any memory of any any thoughts like that I'm sorry to say. No
0: magic doors. I had
2: a I guess I had a very cold childhood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're making up.
2: <laughs> All we did was arithmetic.
1: Yeah, you have plenty of doors to Saturn in your house now,
2: so. While Sathakwa is like, "Hey bro, here's this piece of metal, put it on your wall if you have a hard time." He also gives him this How do they explain it?
0: It's an unpronounceable name of the most powerful of the deities. Yes. As a password
2: Uh, of sorts. Who we later learn, like, Ibon later calls him the, it's the name of uh, Sothoqua's paternal uncle, Mm -hmm. which also puts him in the lineage of Cthulhu, if you want to, like, trace that back somehow. Because Mm -hmm. Sothoqua and Cthulhu are related, right? Anyway, he gives him this this unpronounceable word that he can use, I guess, as, like, a... (laughs) I don't even really understand the motivation. It's like... You'll show up on Saturn or Sir Kanash and you'll just say this word and it will, people will take care of you or something.
0: Yeah, he calls it a sort of password in the stories, which doesn't quite make sense to me, but there you go. Yeah.
1: But even Ibon is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, this sounds, <laughs> the idea of a panel that would open on some remote world impressed Ibon as being rather fantastic, not to say far fetched. Meanwhile, you're talking to a sleepy little toad god <laughs> under, <laughs> underground. Whatever Ibon.
2: Who's on his beanbag chair staring at his lava lamp.
1: Watching the big Lebowski for the hundredth
2: time. <laughs> he's totally the dude of God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the thing is, Ibon goes to Saturn.
0: <laughs> yes. He's brought a little bread and wine with him, which I kind of love.
1: I love that he refers to the followers of Yonde as jealous bigots.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> he's totally right. They are jealous big. Yes, thing. they totally <laughs> are. Oh, that's true. Yep.
0: He springs through the opening into Sikranosh with the agility that was quite juvenile for a wizard of mature years, which incidentally is not how we see Morgi later on, so uh, points to Ibon for keeping a little spring in his step. He notes that uh, well it was only a step described as a step, but he sees that all trace of the panel or dwelling had disappeared and he's standing on a long declivity of ashen soil, i.e. a stream.
3: It was only a step, but turning, Ibn saw that all trace of the panel, or of his dwelling, had now disappeared. He was standing on a long declivity of ashen soil, down which a sluggish stream, that was not water, but some liquescent metal resembling mercury, ran from tremendous unscalable shoulders and horns of the mountain heights above, to debouch in a hill-surrounded lake of the same liquid. The slope beneath him was lined with rows of peculiar objects, and he could not make up his mind whether they were trees, mineral forms, or animal organisms, since they appeared to combine certain characteristics of all these. This preternatural landscape was appallingly distinct in every detail, under a greenish black sky that was overarched from end to end with a triple cyclopean ring of dazzling luminosity. The air was cold and Ibn did not care for its sulphurescent odor or the odd puckery sensation it left in his nostrils and lungs. And when he took a few steps on the unattractive-looking soil, he found that it had the disconcerting friability of ashes that have dried once more after being wetted with rain. He started down the slope, half-fearing that some of the equivocal objects around him would reach out their mineral boughs or arms to arrest his progress. They seemed to be a kind of bluish-purple obsidian cacti, with limbs that ended in formidable talon-like spines, and heads that were altogether too elaborate for either fruits or blossoms. They did not move, but he heard a faint and singular tinkling with many modulations of tone that preceded and followed him along the slope. Iban conceived the uncomfortable notion that they were perhaps debating what should be done with him, or about him.
2: Dun dun dun.
1: Yeah, that's a very cool uh, first glimpse at an alien world.
0: Yeah, and it's not a. It's well, it's not Venus. It's not Sphenumoi. No. So that's.
1: Yeah, of, it's like a desert.
0: Yeah, it's like the opposite of, but better for life. Maybe there are clearly things growing.
1: And there's streams of liquid metal and lakes. Of the same stuff,
0: which you have to figure that there must be some sort of water too, or Thogwa wouldn't have sent him there.
2: Or maybe he would have.
3: Or
0: maybe he maybe would he have just it too.
2: He just doesn't understand. Maybe he doesn't
0: think about right. these
2: things, he, dude. He didn't even think about water.
1: Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's. That's what happened as soon as Ibon went into the panel. Oh, they need <laughs> water. Damn.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he's got a little wine with him, but that's not going to hold it. What do you her. think?
2: I don't know how to phrase this question. I guess it's a two-part question. A, as Ruth just pointed out, this this whole thing kind of smacks of Savannah Moe, just in the, the idea of ancient sorcerers ending up on other planets. But it just seems weird to me, from an authorial standpoint, that you would conceive of this world Hyperborea, and then the first the first time you do it, you tell this pretty simple story about thieves, and the second time you do it, you just completely dismiss it and like go to Saturn. I don't understand.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he, he's setting up a, li- uh, a legendary Hyperborean sorcerer that he's going to draw on in later stories and that he maybe have, has drawn on before. We should trace the the source of Ibon.
2: I have a whole thing about how I find it so hilarious that Ibon, who in every other story is treated as a pretty like serious... Figure like this story to me is it's just a joke like, it like is. this whole thing is. Which is, is a why joke. I love him so. M- I love this story <laughs> yeah. so much. And this like, is the
1: Ibon I- 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 story.
2: It's, it's it's the Ibon story, but yeah. it, it fundamentally it's just like a punchline. <laughs> I just yeah, think it's really funny. and it, it doesn't
1: make Ibon seem very. It seems it makes him seem like he thinks quick on his feet, but
2: mm-hmm. it's yeah, but about He's not it. really. He's not fearsome. He's not, he doesn't like you know. But maybe really that's the point.
1: Maybe <laughs> yeah. he's just a really good con man.
0: Yeah, and the point is that centuries later, nobody knows. Right, the he's, his
1: con has—it's has, the long con. <laughs> yeah. The Ibon con. <laughs>
0: Unfortunately, he's done well long dead by then. But
1: so he's on Saturn,
0: and he gets cast in a shadow of something really big, something huge, and sort of fuzzy and sleepy looking. And he thinks that looks kind of like Sathagwa,
1: but like wonder what that upside is upside down, right?
0: Yeah, like weirdly inverted. I'm not sure how I see this. I think but. its
1: body is, I think its head is on the bottom of its body.
0: Maybe so, Because he yeah. keeps
1: saying it's, yeah, so he sees this giant creature that is reminiscent of Zithaqua, but he keeps saying it's inverted. Um, And this is how he explains it in the story. This being, he perceived, was not easy to classify with its ludicrously short legs, its exceedingly elongated arms, and its round, sleepy-looking head that was pendulous from a spherical body, as if it were turning a somnambulistic somersault. So its head is hanging down off its body upside down. And it's mm-hmm. got super long arms and little tiny baby legs.
0: And the, But the sleepy-looking eyes and the furriness and the general expression right. make him think, ah, this one's got to be related to Sothogwa. Right.
1: And he even remembers that Zathaqua told him that the form that he is on Earth isn't the form that he had on Sirkanash, on uh, Saturn. So maybe Zathaqua looked like this or could change his form or was just lying.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so he spends his time trying to remember what this... Password, God's name, thing is because
2: before he remembers it, I want to talk about Ibon's thinking here because he says yeah. this huge creature it goes to the, the the metal that looks like mercury and drinks it, and based on that one thing, Ibon yes. is like, oh, that's a god, right? Because <laughs> yeah. no, no, nothing biological could ever drink that no. liquid. That, mind you, I know absolutely nothing about, uh, and so I am clearly, on Saturn. <laughs> clearly, this yeah. must be a god. That's like the shakiest no, the, the logic. The likeness
0: to Cythagua. <laughs>
2: That's why I love
1: Smith's conception of these gods and quotes because they're obviously not. They're just aliens.
3: <laughs> yeah. But yeah. he
1: refuses, refuses to <laughs> give us that. He will he always calls them gods. He always talks about their workings as magic because that's what these characters think. It's I love it. I love it a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, you can drink mercury, so you must be a god. <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to try to remember this name. The name is... This is all Um, his his the old Quagminder. I like to think that he took as many times right. to say this as I did. Maybe right. he's like muttering, out of "His little wonderful." Unfortunately, doubtless the result was not wholly conformable to Sir Kenosian rules, but Ibon did the best he could with the vocal organs at his command, and his auditor seemed to recognize the word, for it peered at Ibon a little less sleepily than before, with its inversely situated eyes, and even deigned to utter something which sounded like an attempt to correct his pronunciation.
1: That's awesome.
2: <laughs> it's like no, like, no, no, no. No, no, no. dude. <laughs> no. This is how you say
0: it. And so then, Ibon says the Thakwa three times. Sorry, like, I, like, 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 ah, okay, the Thakwa,
2: Thakwa. He just comes Zathakwa. off as a moron. <laughs> or, or here, here are the two words you might know. I'm going to say them over and over again.
1: And then the yeah. and then the creature looks at him again and says Zukah, corrects his uh-huh. pronunciation again. <laughs>
0: Finally, it raises up one of its arms to the ground and points to the shore where the mouth of a low valley was discernible among the hills. It said distinctly the enigmatic words, I ad and then it left.
2: I just want to say that Ruth just, you just Jason Thompson's that pronunciation. <laughs> yes!
0: I like to think that at this point in the story, there's like an explosion of sparks or something exciting, like, like a flash. Because.
3: Detestable sorcerer! Abominable heretic! I arrest you!" said Morgai with pontifical severity. Iban was surprised, not to say startled, but it reassured him to see that Morgai was alone. He drew the sword of highly-tempered bronze which he carried, and smiled. "'I should advise you to moderate your language, Morgai,' he admonished. Also, your idea of arresting me is slightly out of place now since we are alone together in Sikranash and Mu and the temple cells of Hounda are many million miles away. Horgai did not appear to relish this information. He scowled and muttered, I suppose this is some more of your damnable wizardry. I have been conversing with one of the gods of Sikranosh, Ibn said magniloquently, The god, whose name is Khoi Gomensha, has given me a mission to perform, a message to deliver, and has indicated the direction in which I should go. I suggest that you will lay aside our little mundane disagreement and accompany me. Of course, we could slit each other's throats, or eviscerate each other, since we are both armed. But under the circumstances, I think you will see the puerility, not to mention the sheer inutility of such a proceeding. If we both live, we may be of mutual use and assistance in a strange world whose problems and difficulties, if I mistake not, are worthy of our united powers. Morgai frowned and pondered. Very well, he said grudgingly. I consent, but I warn you that matters will have to take their course when we return to Mu Thulan. That, rejoined Ibn, is a contingency which need not trouble either of us. Shall we start...
1: Now it becomes the road...
0: Buddy comedy. Yeah, the buddy
1: comedy. The road comedy.
0: They're an odd couple. Um, But Tim,
1: what about our
2: competition? Right. Oh, right. Uh,
1: So we had another uh, fun and crazy idea for a contest where, since we're doing this during the Hyperborean setting, we could get our listeners to draw their own interpretations of Sothogua, this small sleepy god of... Hyperborea. Not everyone's an artist. Totally understand. Just do it anyway. Draw him in stick figures because he's such a weird idea of a creature that we really want to get as many takes as possible.
0: We're each going to do one too so you can see how awesome or terrible Ruth kind of terrible we are at drawing.
1: (laughs) So even if it's a stick figure you're still in the running and then we'll choose uh, a random winner. And send you uh, a soft cover copy of the weird.
0: You can submit your drawing uh, via email to contact at the at the double shadow on Twitter on our Facebook page and on our forums. I suppose you could do it on Google+ Plus if you're still on yeah because yeah. Tim will see it you
1: plusers out there. That's what they call themselves
0: plusers. That's what you call yourself too. Next time we'll have Ibon and Morgy. The improbable, odd couple of Morgi just wants to torture Ibon. Ibon just wants to have fun on Saturn.
1: Detestable sorcerer abominable heretic i arrest you
2: i think you have to say that morgy showed up before showed up before you no, that. no 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 cuz he just then... he
1: turns around and there's morgy with his cape flowing in the wind his bronze sword unsheathed <laughs> his beard flowing slightly <laughs> i should advise you to moderate your language morgy he admonished <laughs> also your idea of arresting me is slightly out of place now since we're all alone together in secretosh
0: this is more of your damnable wizardry.
1: I have been conversing with one of the gods of Sirkonosh. The no god, way. whose name is Hwilzukminza, has given me a mission <laughs> to perform.
0: Very well, I consent. But I warn you that matters will take their course when we return to Muthulan.
1: That is a contingency which we do not need to trouble, blah, blah, blah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Let's start. Shall we start? <laughs>